Uh, let's review a little bit. We're talking about hermeneutics, how to study the Bible, how to interpret the Bible, how to know the meaning of Scripture. Um, let's think about that. How, do, how has God revealed Himself? He's, he revealed Himself several ways. Generally, how? What do we mean generally? What does that mean? Through what? Hmm? Yeah, through creation, right? Yeah, creation. Uh, we also have a conscience, right? But He's also revealed Himself specifically in the person of Jesus Christ, right, His Son, and also through the, 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 the Word, the Scriptures, right? And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to learn how better to interpret the Bible. Why do we have to interpret the Bible? Why can't we just read it, know what it says, and, and know how to apply it to our lives? Why do we have to interpret the Scriptures? It has one meaning. Yeah, the text has one meaning. Every every text of scripture has one meaning and we've talked about how you know the God had thoughts right and he inspired men to write those thoughts down uh, that we, we now have as scripture um, he um, he also as we have the scriptures and we read them in our own language he illuminates our minds to help us interpret understand the meaning the God what he wanted that um, uh, there's one meaning the author had one meaning we need to get at that one meaning of each text and then also we need help to know how to apply it to our lives right um, and we, we've said there's three three steps observation interpretation application and that's with every genre right we have different types of genre in scripture and that's what we're doing we're looking through the different genres and learning the important things about each genre kind of like bullet points what we're trying to do, that's, what, that's why we're reviewing, just to help us with those bullet points with each genre. But where do we spend our most, most of our time? Observation. Observation, good. Yeah, and observation. We spend most of our time here. And they kind of bleed into one another, but we spend most of our time in observation. In observation phase, what do we do? Ask all the questions. Yeah, you ask, what questions do you ask? Yeah, who, what, when, why, where, right? You just ask, bombard the text with questions, asking questions, just gathering information, right? Um, and if you're going to study a book, say you're going to study the book of uh, Colossians, what would you do? All right, chapel says, I'm going to study Colossians. So what should she, she do? Who wrote it? Who wrote it? Yeah, well, you read it, right? You read it, right? Read it from... Several times. Read it several times if you can. From beginning to end, right? Do what? Try to read it in one sitting. Yeah, read it in one sitting. Read it through, read it through. And you're asking all these questions. And usually, when you read through a book, a lot of those questions are going to be answered. Like, who wrote it? Who did he write it to? Why did they write it? What's the purpose of them writing it, right? And that's the context. We're just trying to figure out um, who wrote it and why. Who did they write it to, right? That helps us interpret the Scripture better, right? So we're asking all these questions. And then, then it, again, that kind of bleeds into interpretation. What does it mean? And then application. But what we oftentimes do, and I, I do this myself, and we, it, people I spend time with, we're talking about these things. They want to get here, and then they want to get here real quick. You know, we all do that. We know we need to spend, make sure we're spending time here. I think more times than not, we don't understand the text because we don't spend enough time. I don't talking about just time, just sitting reading it, but you know, thinking through it, mulling through it, that that whole idea of meditation, chewing the cud. You know, you're a cow and you're chewing, and they swallow, and what do they do? 
regurgitate it and chew on it some more. And so I'll, you know, that thinking through, thinking through, uh, we don't spend enough time because we want it in a hurry, we want it now, and we want to move on. That's just kind of how we live our lives here in the land of heat and air, right? Um, but we, we, we started looking at the, uh, each of these phases we have to do with each genre. We looked at an epistle. What did we say we need to remember when we study an epistle? An epistle, give me an example of an epistle. Colossians, yeah. Paul's letters, right? Yeah, all Paul's letters. Uh, Revelation has a... And sometimes we said that not all books are one genre, like the book of Revelation. It's going to be apocalyptic, right, in nature. But it has a section where it's letters to the seven churches. So parts of it are an epistle, right? Some of the prophetic books. Daniel. Isaiah. Yeah, some of those are, 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 are very... Um, they're very prophetic, but then, um, but then they have little glimpses, little parts of it that are apocalyptic. We'll see that in the book of Daniel. Um, you see that in Zephaniah. A lot of apocalyptic stuff there. So, epistle. What do we when we're studying epistles? What do we need to think about? What do we need to remember when we're studying the epistle? What's important? Like both uh, and what was going on at the time. Yeah, content. Yeah, context. That's very, very important. And it's important with all of them, especially the epistle. All right? What else with an epistle? What's repeated? Key things? Themes. Yeah. What's repeated? What's contrasted and compared? Yeah. What's, what's emphasized? Yeah, good. Yeah, good. That's an epistle. What about the narrative text? A narrative. What's an example of a narrative text? Genesis. Genesis, yeah, Genesis. It's a story. It's a, it's a it's part of the story. Yeah, it's story. Yeah, it's history, isn't it? Not unexcused, but tardy. Yeah, you tardy? Yeah. yeah I, got, I got a letter here. Cause I got a letter here. I got a letter here about that. Here. Great. Thank you. Um, uh, yeah, narrative. Yeah, Genesis. And then Daniel, too, right? The first six chapters of Daniel are narrative. It's history. It tells us uh, what's, what's happened. All right, what, what are the bullet points in narrative? What do we need to remember in narrative text? Yeah, we need to remember. Yeah, it's all factual. yeah, it tells us what happened. It's history. It didn't tell us what should have happened. Case in point, uh, David and Bathsheba. Well, that's terrible. He's the man after God's heart. He should. Uh, 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 uh. And that's what happened, right? It's history. What else? The narrative text. God's hero. Do what? God is a hero. God's a hero. Yeah, we try David and Goliath. What's that? What's that story about? It's about David and Goliath, but it's about God, right? Um, what else? It doesn't teach us doctrine, but it illustrates doctrine that's taught elsewhere. Okay. All right, what about gospel? Now, gospel is a type of narrative. It tells, it's a history, right? It tells a story. How's the gospel different than narrative? Yeah, it's focused on Christ, right? The second person of the Trinity. Yeah, what does it teach us about Jesus? What else do we remember about gospels? I'm going to let y'all do the review. Yeah, it's not always chronological. Most of the time it seems to be, but sometimes it's not, right? Some parts of it aren't chronologically uh, written. What else? It's important in the same story. 
Yep, yep. Four different accounts, the same, the same story. Some of those events are recorded in all four Gospels, right? Many of the events are recorded in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All right, what else do we remember when we're studying Gospels? How much attention is given to each event? How much attention is given to this event in Jesus' life? It tells us it, how important it is, right? Example of that is the Gospel of John. First 11 chapters, three years. Last seven days, chapters 12 through 20. So what's most important to John? To the Lord, right? We say to John, but to the Lord. Is, is those seven days are really important. Yeah, okay. Um, all right, and then we looked at a parable. Let's look at it real quickly. Parable, stories that illustrate, illustrate spiritual truth. They both reveal and conceal spiritual truth. For those who trust Jesus, truth are revealed, but those who reject Jesus, the same spiritual truths are concealed. We, we said last week, uh, I think Blake said, that it's a, by using parables, he's pronouncing judgment on these people, right? Because he's concealing truth from them, right? Um, what, if, what do we remember? Anybody remember what, about parables? Before I put them up there. Look for the main point. How do we find the main point? <clears throat> context of the scripture. Before and after. Yeah, context, before and after. What mm -hmm. else? Interpretation. Yeah. Well, let's look, look at these. Who's the main characters? Like in the parable, who's the main characters? Who or what gets most space or attention? The dialogue, right? Direct discourse. Pay attention to that. And then what comes at the end? In the stress rule. Those are real important. Like, what's the main point? You want to look at the main point. Because sometimes in parables, we get, you, it's real easy to get sidetracked. And we press details that aren't really important. You want to understand the historical setting, the context, right? A lot of times, Jesus tells a parable because he just had a conversation with somebody. Okay? Look to see what specific question, problem, or situation the parable is addressing. Jesus criticized for associating with a sinful woman. So what did you do? Tells a parable to two debtors. Who loves the most? Who's been forgiven most, right? All right. Um, not every detail in a parable has special significance. Okay, that's real important because we real easily get sidetracked, and then explanations are given. Sometimes disciples come to Jesus and he'll explain the parable. All right. Uh, we don't have to scratch our heads so much because Jesus is fixing to tell us exactly what that means. Okay. Um, we looked at homework. Let's look at uh, Luke chapter twenty. In our homework, uh, that was homework for us. Luke chapter 20. <clears throat> Parable of the wicked tenants. <clears throat> All right, so when, you, when you're fixing to start looking at a text, uh, again, with each and every one of these genres, we need to think about the context, okay? So what's going on here? Kind of the far context, just in the Gospel of Luke. Luke is writing this. Who's he writing it to? Theophilus. Theophilus, right. Why is he writing it? He's writing it to who? As an orderly account. Yeah. Basically state who Christ is and, and really a, you know, how the gospel went out to the Gentile or to the nation. You know, and yeah. So he's, he's explaining who Christ is Theophilus. It's an orderly account of Christ's life. Yeah. To Theophilus, and it's for the Gentiles. Right? All the things that... Uh, that he's heard, the office has heard, he's wanting to know, hey, these things are true. They're historically accurate, okay? Um, 
Now think about, uh, again, in regard to far context. Um, Luke's going to tell Jesus' um, ministry um, travels. He's going to start out in Galilee, and then Peter's going to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And then Jesus is going to start telling his disciples that he's going to suffer. He tells them many times. I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer. And he's on his way to Jerusalem. And as Jesus' popularity increases, as he's teaching like no one they've ever heard before, and he's doing miracles, performing miracle after miracle, what happens? People get excited. He's the greatest show on earth. And what happens as his popularity grows, what also grows? Yeah, the, the religious leader's animosity grows towards Christ, right? And um, so that's kind of far context, right? Near context, what happens right before this? Maybe let's read. Um, we need to think about back up. When you're looking at a text, you need to back up a little bit and see what's going on. Um, as you'll see in, in, in our English Bibles, it's easy. If you're looking um, at the text, they'll have the triumphal entry. Well, he's, he's arrived in Jerusalem. That's where he's had his had his focus on, he set his mind to go to Jerusalem, right? And he's telling his disciples what's going to happen when he gets to Jerusalem, but he's going there anyway. Triumphal entry, people are singing praises. What has he been doing all along? Shh, shh, shh. But he gets to Jerusalem, they're in an uproar. What does he do? Does he tell them to stop? No, in fact, when the Pharisees tell him, hey, you need to tell them to shut up. They don't need to be saying those things about you. What did Jesus say in, this, in Luke's account? You remember? If they shut up the rocks. Yeah. That, so he refused to tell them to shut up. Right? He refused to tell them to be quiet. All right? Um, then he, he, Jesus looks in the temple. He goes out to Bethany. He comes back the next day and he cleanses the temple. All right, everybody check their phones. Everybody check your phone. <laughs> everybody check your phone. Um, uh, Jesus cleanses the temple, and uh, what was the what was the response of the religious leaders to towards Christ when he cleanses the temple? They asked him uh, who gave the authority. Yeah, yeah, we're going to get to that. Yeah, but they were they were out to get him. They were seeking, verse 47, to destroy him. Okay? Let's read, let's read chapter 20, verse 1 through 8. Just kind of, this is near context. We're just trying to get ready for the text, okay? Somebody read that. We'll read along with you. It happened on one of those days, as he was teaching the people in the temple and proclaiming the good news, that the chief priests and scribes came to him with the elders. They asked him, Tell us, by what authority do you do these things? Or who is giving you this authority? He answered them, I also will ask you one question. Tell me, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? They reasoned with themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe it? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us. For they are persuaded that John was a prophet. They answered that they did not know where it 
was from. Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Okay. How far? That's good, right there. Yeah. We're just setting up we're setting up kind of the context here. Um, these things where did you get authority to do these things? These things referring to what you think? Well, being called the Messiah. Yeah, being called the Messiah. What else? Yeah, what did he just do? Cleansing the temple. Yeah, the whole triumphal entry, you know, and then cleansing the temple. Could be other things that he had been doing all along, but I think probably focused on those things, I would think. They want to know who gave him the authority to do this. Who gave you the right to do such a thing? And it's interesting when he's running out the money change, if you read that, no one stopped him, no one tried to. He just ran them all out. Cleansed it, right? you making my father's house a, a den of robbers, right? It's a house of prayer. And then it's, it's kind of interesting, Jesus, he doesn't answer their question. I can think we can probably learn something from that, right? He doesn't he didn't answer their question. They don't answer his question, so he don't answer theirs, right? Any other thoughts on just context? Well, they would have said John the Baptist, they were calling him his authority out. So ultimately, that's the huge context here is his authority. Yeah. Why do you have this authority? Why do yeah. you have this? Why are you the Messiah? Why have you not told people not to tell you you're the Messiah? Yeah. And, and I mean, they're, they're looking to crucify him. So he gives them the question back with John the Baptist, right? Is, mm -hmm. hey, if John, did John, is, is what he said, is it from, from God or from man? And, yeah. and if they answered, from, if they answered yeah. from God, then they have to admit that he is yeah. the Messiah because they knew that. They knew he was the Son of God. Yeah, I mean, and John the Baptist had, he had a lot of authority, didn't he? He came in there and just called folks out, you know. Um, yeah. And they're, they're getting wound up. They're getting wound up. And, and, of course, we know that this is all purposeful because what's he doing? He's pushing buttons because what's got to happen? Yeah, he's stirring a pot. What's got to happen? They got to get riled up enough to make this thing happen, right, for him to be uh, arrested and crucified. Okay, let's read the text. This is, this is our, our, our parable, Luke 20. 9 through, let's read through 19. Somebody read that. We'll read along with you. And what we're doing, we are, I know you, most of you, a lot of you already done this at homework, but let's, we're asking, we're, we're gathering information. We're getting information as we, as we read through this. Who, what, when, why, where questions, okay? All right. Somebody read. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, let it out to tenants, and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent out yet a third. This one also they wanted to cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. 
But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir, let us kill him, so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Read 19. Uh, the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they sorry, perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. Appreciate you, brother. Yeah. <laughs> you got to lick that finger. You got to lick that finger, brother. You got to lick that finger. Um, Appreciate you. All right, what do we what 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 do we gather? What what information? What do you what do you see? You think about who, what, when, why, where. Who who's the characters here? And I know this is kind of juvenile a little bit, but you, you know you, you you see these things, but it's just kind of like we're doing this in this little rhythm, right, uh, to help us some. Who who are the characters in this parable? The owner of the vineyard, right? He's a kind of an absentee, you know, landowner, right? Which wasn't an uncommon thing. Yeah, the tenants, the people renting it. The vineyard itself. The vineyard itself, yeah. The son. Yeah, the son. The servants. Okay. Uh, and then there's some someone called the others, right, in verse 16. Okay. Um, you could say, well, where did this take place? Well, he's telling this in Jerusalem, right? He's, already, he's in Jerusalem. He's telling this story, right? He's trying to make a point by using this story. Okay, um, you know, again, when, we've already answered that. He's already, it's after the triumphal entry, he's in Jerusalem. You might say what, you know, what is going on. And I, what I always try to do is try to put it in my own words. I do that almost every text that I read, even in, when I'm preparing my sermons, when I'm doing my own little individual Bible study. I try to summarize what, what the text is saying. Somebody, you want, somebody want to summarize that? I mean, looking at the parable as being a parable having one point, you know, he's trying not to draw too many conclusions from it other than the main point, but, you know, he's coming off the authority and, and the chief priest and he's taking them on. Yeah. You know, and he basically just, they, they understood it. It says that they fully understood the yeah. parable. Yeah. Not, they didn't understand many parables, but they understood this one. Yeah, hold, hold, that, yeah, hold that thought. No, no, you're good. Hold that thought. Because that brings up a good point. Because we just said, hey, a parable reveals true to those who trust the Lord, right, but conceals it to others. But that's not always the case, right? Because this one, these people didn't, they didn't trust Christ. And they perceived, they knew that he was, he was telling the story about them. So here they, they completely understood. Right? All right, go ahead. Yeah, so what say is they understood this. In fact, it said that they were scared. That, that very hour they feared the people. They knew mm -hmm. it was about them. So the point being that he's showing them that ultimately, you know, the stone is the stone will crush you. If you come against the stone, yeah. the stone will crush you. And that's what they were doing. They were coming against 
the son in the story was Christ. Right, right. The, the, the God had set the vineyard, which was Israel, and the, 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 yeah. the vine dressers were the, the religious elite, and the, the religious the priests and stuff, and they were the, they were the stewards of this, and they had yeah. failed. And yeah. So, so the son was, the servants were the prophets, Christ was the son, and they, they, he, they killed him. And so basically, ultimately, he is to say, we're going to take that from you, we're going to give it to some others. And, and the main point saying is, is uh, the stone is going to crush you. He's going to come. And he refers back to Psalm 118, which they were singing coming into the triumphal yeah. entry. Yeah. Um, but the stone is the one that will crush you. If you come against him, you will be crushed. Yeah. Um, chief priest, understand that. You know, yeah. this, this is a judgment upon them. This is a warning upon them. Right. This is, you're coming against the Son of God, and they fully understood it. Yeah. So you got the... The vineyard in the Old Testament, uh, Isaiah on several occasions talks about Israel being the vineyard. Um, you can see that uh, who is the 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 landowner and who are the tenants in this situation. You see the God being the landowner, the tenants being the religious leaders, um, the Jewish. Um, religious elite you have this um, think about think about just what how this might came about you've got the uh, it's it's not like sharecropping maybe I guess that's kind of maybe kind of like that you have this absentee landowner he owns a property he lets people live on it but then he wants part of the crops the, part of the harvest right um, and maybe the landowner they haven't seen them maybe they've never seen them they send the servant, and they think, hmm, I don't think we're going to give this guy anything. They abuse the servant, not once, twice, but three times. And then he thinks, the landowner thinks, well, my son, they'll treat him rightly. What do you think maybe they thought when they see the son coming? Maybe we don't. <laughs> yeah, or thinking, we kill the son. The land will be ours. He won't send anybody else, and we'll just take the land. They kill the son, and Jesus asked the question. And now this this is this this event is also recorded in Matthew and Mark. Jesus Jesus asked the question: What would the landowner do with the tenants? And if he would have paused, they probably would have answered. But Jesus answers for them. And what does Jesus say? Yeah. I mean, that's logical. That's common. Of course. They've abused his servants. They're, they're not, you know, upholding their end of the bargain. They're trying to take something that's not theirs. Yeah, of course the landowner's going to come and judge them, give them what they deserve, and let somebody else have the land. And so, what's the main point? Yeah. This is a parable, but it's also a prophetic parable. They're asking Christ who give him, has given him this authority. What's the text at the end of the parable 
What does that, what does that have to do with anything? He quotes Psalm 118. He's quoting Isaiah. Um, what is... Miracle from the first temple. Yeah. He is the stone. Yeah. He is the cornerstone. That's what we refer to. Yeah. Many times he's referred to as the stone in the Old Testament in Psalm 118, like you're saying. Yeah. Psalm and in Isaiah 8. He's the cornerstone, not just somebody that supports it. The He's the one that holds up. Yeah. So the the building is supported at the corner, you know, by the cornerstone. Yeah. In this parable, he's referring to himself because he it's it's his land and they're in his temple. When he drives them out, they're in his land. Before he was in the temple and chapter the chapter preceding this, he gave them the parable of the of the the money, I don't know what the word is, the money. And it was all his money. And he had the three servants that one invested, yeah. one got a little bit less, and but one did nothing. Yeah. And then there were the, his enemies. Yeah. So it was all his money. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't about the prophet, he was about their character. Here, he's talking about the Pharisees, uh, saying, what authority do you have? He says, this is my house. Yeah. He said, he's the son, he's the landowner. Yeah. All right. So he's the stone, and at the end here, that last verse, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. There are two choices that you have to make. Well, there's two options. There's a choice of life or death. Mm. And if you fall on Christ, you come to Christ, you're broken. Yeah. But if you deny him or reject him, you'll be grinded to powder in judgment. Yeah, it definitely has undertones of Daniel 2 as well with the stone crushing, pulverizing, you know, at the foot yeah, of the Yeah, yeah, so sure. That could draw their imagery there, you know, yeah. looking at, you know, this, this, the sun, knowing who the sun is is, is key to the, the parable, right? Is that yeah. the sun is is the stone, like Jamie said, and this, this as he quotes this psalm, this, this who's the point, you know, going back to Isaiah or going to Psalms, that, Israel is the cornerstone within that song, right? In that context, Israel is that cornerstone which the nations are around. But yet, in order for Israel to be the cornerstone of the nations, Christ must be the cornerstone of Israel. Christ mm -hmm. is that cornerstone. And so, him being that stone, the, the stone that the builders rejected, right? That, that's, a, that, that's, a, that's an old testament. We're going to reject these until we get the right cornerstone. Well, they rejected the right cornerstone. Christ is the cornerstone. He's in which the cornerstone in which the church is built upon, the foundation yeah. in which the church is built upon. Mm -hmm. So they rejected him. They mm -hmm. rejected the son. They rejected the cornerstone. Mm -hmm. the, the son was killed in the parable. Mm -hmm. There's also an allusion to the resurrection here. Mm -hmm. How can you be the chief stone? If the, 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 how can you be the chief stone if the stone has been killed? Right. Yeah. Resurrected. Yeah. So we see that. We see these, these undertones there, but. Yeah, if you had to, uh, if you had to say, what's the what's the meaning of the parable? 
weighed in the balance and found lacking. Yeah. No, no fruit even to give to the owner. You know, their 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 leadership of Israel was was not even pointing to the God and Christ. They were just a religious. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what's going to happen? He drives the, the, the people out of the temple and he says, what's, What you have is going to be taken away, given to others. It's interesting. And uh, just a few years later, what's going to happen to the temple? It's going to be destroyed. Yeah, in 70 AD, the temple's going to be destroyed, right? Uh, given to others, a lot others probably referring to who you think? Well, in context, we probably disagree here a little bit, but it's okay. In context, he's speaking to the stewards, right? Those are, those are the religious elite. The religious elite at the time is going to give it to others. I would say originally it's the apostles, yeah. right? He turns it over to Paul, he turns it over to the apostles. The seven, which grows into evangelists, pastors, elders, you know, those those of the New Testament church, I would say, it, who are the stewards of God's word better than the religious elite here. Yeah, I think there's a there's a it's it's about authority. Who's the authority? Um. And, and, you know, how dare you run the, run the, everybody out of the temple? How dare you? How dare you? Who gave you authority? And he's, he's the, he's the judge, right? He's the cornerstone. He's the judge. Um, what's application for us? And sometimes application, um, I think those nine, nine uh, application questions are helpful. Anybody have an application question you would come up with your homework or any, a, a way of applicate, application for this parable? Is there an error to avoid? Is there an error to avoid? Don't reject Christ. Embrace the Son. Right? Embrace Christ. Embrace Him. Don't reject Him. That's for every person on the planet. He's just, he's the judge. Yeah. Is there a truth to believe um, that Jesus is the cornerstone, right? He's, I mean, everybody can, I mean, from, from the New Covenant, everybody can be, you know, you're, you don't think about it, somebody if they're a gender or race or ethnicity or whatever, you think about it, are they embraced the Son or not? Are they a believer or not? That's what Paul says, right? Um, anybody else? Does the passage point out sinful behavior attitudes that need to be confessed? Pride. Pride, yeah. 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 Uh, parables. But there, there, there is a main point. And you can get caught up on some things, but um, parables have one point. All right, let's, let's give some, let's talk about prophecy real quickly. 
and then we'll give you some homework. If you have questions about parables, let us. Um, we can we can talk about that. Send them to me. We'll we'll answer those next week. Prophecy. Sometimes reading the prophets are difficult. Sometimes you say, oh, that's kind of difficult. You try to get through uh, Zephaniah or you get through Isaiah and you're like, you get through part of it and you just throw in the white flag. Uh, there are often collections of spoken oracles, you know, sermons, speeches, if you will. They're just kind of put together. Sometimes it's difficult. Uh, they're not always in chronological order and that's always a problem. Sometimes they are, but they're not always. Difficulty in reading the prophets. There are often no hints as to where one oracle begins and another uh, one begins and another ends. That's the problem I have in getting through Isaiah. I have the hardest time. Um, just like okay, we're, we I think we just jumped somewhere. You know, sometimes it can be difficult, uh, and that's kind of that's where a Bible handbook can come in handy. Uh, I'll bring those next week. I've got several hard copies. I've got some electronically too. A Bible handbook's really helpful. Uh, for that. There's often no historical setting provided to help interpret the, the oracle. That's where the Bible handbook could sometimes comes in, in, in to help. And there's some good ones, and I was going to bring those today, and I just forgot, but I'll bring them next time. So sometimes we don't know the historical setting. The prophets often use poetry, which is difficult for us to understand. Yeah, poetry gives us, gives us problems sometimes. We're so uh, far removed from the religious, historical, and cultural context that we sometimes struggle to understand the issues being addressed by the prophets. Yeah, that, again, that, there's barriers there, right? That's why we have to interpret the, the text. Sometimes they acted out the prophecies that were about to happen. Read Ezekiel 4 and 5. He lays on his side for so many days, um, one day for every year that you know, Israel rejected, and then turns on the other side for every year that J Judah rejected the Lord. Uh, yeah, some some unusual things there. Prophetic books for major prophets: Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Those are the the, the easy ones, right? Um, and then the the minor prophets. We're going through the book. We, I'm going through the Bible, trying to memorize the books. Uh, he just ain't obeying. And you just got to memorize Jonah, Micah, Nahum, and then H Z H Z, and then Malachi. You know, is the last one. That's how we do it with the students, but. Um, those 12 minor prophets. What's the difference in major minor prophets? Just the length of the books. Not one more important than others. Um, it's uh, just the length of the book. Yep. Minor prophets are, are, are shorter. Um, 765, 46 BC or about the, the, the time period of the prophets. And you're thinking, man, that's a lot of script, a lot of our Bibles made up of prophets, but it's a short amount of time. Um, very narrow span of time in history. Um, two things characterize the, those centuries. Uh, a lot of upheaval. A lot of uh, instability. Politically, militarily, economically, socially. And then a lot of rebellion against the Lord going on with the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. A lot of rebellion. A lot of people uh, kind of, a lot of the Israelites not really uh, wanting to submit to the Lord. All right, what are we going to remember? Like every, every genre, we're remembering a few things about each one. The prophets, they did tell about the future. A lot of times we think about prophets, oh, they're foretelling the future. That's true, uh, but primarily they, just, they were God's mouthpiece. They delivered God's message to the intended audience. And most of those prophecies, 
not all, but almost all of them were fulfilled shortly there after they were they were delivered. So it wasn't like it's something dealing with end time stuff. There are some things like that. We're fixing to get into that in Daniel chapter nine, but a lot of it is just um, most almost all the prophecies fulfilled right after they were um, spoken. Have the prophecies been fulfilled or not? And if they have been, when were they fulfilled? That's helpful. Uh, we should strive to understand a text's major points rather than all of its symbolic details. We'll see that in, in Daniel. All right. Um, longer prophetic books should be read in smaller sections. That's where that Bible handbooks will come in handy. Um, the goal is to understand the major points that each section stresses. Like I said, some of those, some of those, um, for me, Isaiah is the most difficult because they just kind of run together. As for application, once a section's major point is understood, we should find modern life situations analogous to the ones which a prophetic section handles. We'll talk about that next week when we look at application of our homework. Ask the question, what does this section say about God and man that is true any place, any time, in any situation? All right. Prophetic books. All right, here's your homework. Look over those points uh, in Ezekiel 4 through 6. Again, gathering up all kind of information, then coming up with the, what's the meaning, why did God have uh, this written down for us, what do we need to um, know, and then how do we apply it to our lives.